And um, today what we're going to look at, we're going to be in Matthew, uh, looking at the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, 16 to 20. You can go ahead and turn there. But uh, before I read that, um, back at the beginning of Matthew, the first week we had in Matthew, we went through the genealogy. And the way Matthew set it up, he had these three groups of 14. He went from Abraham to David, and then David to the deportation, and then the deportation to Jesus. And it was these, these chapters within the story that Matthew was setting up in here. And he's saying here, we're entering this new chapter. This, this is completely different than what we had before. And so as we look at this today, we're going to be looking at what is this new chapter? What, what is our, the most important question is, what is our role in this new chapter that we're in? So in Matthew 28, Matthew writes, oh, I'm moved. I've got to be careful. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that you have been writing from the beginning of time, this story that is a true picture of reality. Um, God, we thank you that you have written us into it, Lord, and that you have given us all roles within this story. Father, I pray that uh, as we go into your word today, Lord, that uh, your word would speak, God, that you would be glorified and that we would know our call to discipleship within that story. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to go into this story, we've we got to look at what has the story been so far, right? So if we go back all the way to the beginning, back to Genesis, God makes Adam and Eve, and, and everything is perfect. There's no sin. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's, everything's just perfect. And Adam and Eve had a job. They were going to work in the garden and, um, and really steward the creation. And then within a few pages, that chapter was quickly over. Adam and Eve sinned, and everything fell. There, all that perfection was gone. Death came into the world, um, and Adam and Eve had to toil and work in the garden. It was going to be a chore now. It, before, it was a joy to steward the creation. Now it's this job. And um, so we quickly get out of chapter 1 and go into chapter 2 with the fall. And in Genesis 3, God tells Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat, it, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So perfection and joy working in the garden to this. That's chapter 2. It's not really an exciting chapter to enter. But right at the beginning of that, that chapter, God gives a future hope. He tells Eve that her, that her seed will crush Satan's head. There's this hope given right at the beginning of chapter 2 that's pointing to this future time where, where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make things right again. 
And so we've gone from chapter one, the perfection, to chapter two, the fall, and living through that. And then we come to chapter three, where Jesus enters, where hope enters. And the story that God had been weaving from the beginning of time is entering this new chapter of hope, where God's going to become a man to bring God to mankind. We see this, I think that the biggest hinge point for me when I think about this is in uh, Matthew 12, 25 to 28. Um, you don't have to turn there. The, the key part will be up on the screen here, but it said, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he had cast out a demon, and the, the Pharisees challenge him and say, he's just doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus responds, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. And here's the key. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's the hinge right there going into the next chapter. The kingdom of God had entered the world. Jesus describes this kingdom in uh, Matthew 13, 31 to 32, as a mustard seed. Um, he says it's the smallest seed that is planted, and yet it grows into the, this large tree where birds of the air even come to nest. It is, it is this continually growing kingdom. And so now we have chapter 1, the perfection, chapter 2, the fall, and now we have chapter 3, Jesus bringing God to humanity again his kingdom, his influence growing within the world. And that's what brings us to the Great Commission. That is his instructions to us in this next chapter. In verse 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now it's easy to stand here today and think, like, how in the world did somebody doubt? Like, they had just spent all this time with Jesus. They had seen him doing all these miracles. They had seen him killed and then raised from the dead. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, you basically got one decision. It's follow him or be in rebellion. Um, but it says that some came and worshiped and some came and doubted. And that really opens up um, how Jesus explains the Great Commission. And we're going to see in here, we're going to see a great claim we're going to see the Great Commission. We're going to see a great comfort that Jesus gives them. And it's in response to these people coming to worship and to the people coming to doubt. He's responding to both of them in this. And so Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the great claim that Jesus gives. He has all authority. He has authority in heaven, in the spiritual realm, and he has authority on earth, in the physical realm. Um, earlier in Matthew, there was a paralytic that some friends had brought this paralytic to Jesus, and, and he said to him, take heart, my son, your sins have been forgiven. That's authority in the spiritual realm. And then the Pharisees go, you don't get to say that. That's, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. And Jesus responds with, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But you know what? Just so you know, I have authority over everything. Tells him to get up and walk, and he walks away. Jesus has complete authority. 
So Jesus is telling those who are worshiping him that they were right to worship him. He is God. Come and worship me. And he's saying to those who were, who were doubting, come and worship me anyways. Now, as we talk about Jesus having full authority, though, does it always feel like Jesus has full authority? I mean, day to day, everything that we walk through, do you, do you feel that Jesus has authority over all things? You know, we see, we see a fire ravage a town in California, but then we see the church come along and gather around those people and love them and give them hope. We see divorce. But then we also see a husband and wife who decide to die to themselves and live selflessly and raise their children in the Lord. You know, we see, we see somebody walk away from the faith. But then we see a baptism. We see somebody proclaiming their faith in Jesus. Um, and so we, we don't always feel it. But um, C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, he, he defined faith this way. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Think about that one for just a sec. I, I love the way he explains that there. You know, we don't always feel like Jesus has authority, but we see it in his word. We see it in the story he's written. We know that, that this narrative that's in our word is the real narrative. That is, that is the reality that we live in. And so every time that we turn on the news and we see some terrible thing that makes us doubt, we turn back to truth. We turn back to, no, Jesus is in control. Jesus does have all authority. And Jesus is telling them, I am God. I have all the authority. And this is the true story, so come and worship me. So your first point on, on the handout there, says, because Jesus has all authority, we follow while sure in our faith, and when we doubt, we follow all the same. When we doubt, we turn back to his word, and we get ourselves back into the true narrative. Verse 19 and 20, he says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So verse 18 was the great claim, this response to those who were worshiping and those who were doubting. And, and now we're going into the great commission itself. Merriam-Webster defines a commission as a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's delegating authority, and he's doing that through his Holy Spirit that indwells us. So while this is a command, it's even more than that. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to be with you, and I've got a mission for you, so let's go and do this together. That is a commission. So we're not doing this on our own. So what is that mission? To go and make disciples. That is our mission. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who, who places themselves purposefully under somebody else to learn from them, to grow in them, and to ultimately become like them. It's not, 
it's not a class. Discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not something that only the, the super Christians get to. I think there's been kind of a mix-up um, today of what is discipleship. It's not putting yourself um, through a class where the, the ultra-spiritual kind of leads you along in this. And, um, and once you get to the end of this class, all of a sudden you can say, I'm a disciple now. A disciple is somebody who has willingly come under somebody else. So I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 50 years or for five seconds you are a disciple if you are following Jesus. And the, the major issue that comes up when we, we place discipleship in this realm where we think, oh, that's, that's for the, the super Christians to do, is that we kind of let ourselves off the hook. During the uh, Middle Ages when there was kind of the big monastic movement, you know, there, and there was all these people going off to the monasteries, and the, they were the ones who did the Christian thing, and we just kind of kept on living out in the world. That's not the way this works. It's we are all disciples of Jesus. We are all living for him. We have all been called to follow him. Um, and so the word disciple literally translates to learner, not learned. And so that's where we find ourselves. We are learners. We're, we're growing and learning under Jesus. So the next point on your handout is if you have given your life to Christ, you have been written into God's story as a disciple and disciple maker. And I'm sorry if you don't have a ton of room on your handout for that one. I changed it a bit during the week, so that's totally my <laughs> bad. Yeah. I would blame somebody else for it, but that's all on me. <clears throat> There are a couple things, though, to clear up um, as we look at the Great Commission. Um, first off, the go therefore is not a command in the Greek. He's not saying go and do this specific thing. He's saying as you are going. That's properly translated as as you are going or, or having gone. He's assuming that you're just going to make this a part of your life. And so you've got to ask yourself, what am I doing in my day-to-day -day life? to build my life around discipleship. It's not um, you, you have moments where you're going to go and make disciples. You have moments where you're going to go and live for Jesus. It, you build your entire life around that. You model what it is. As you are raising your children, make disciples. As you are at work with other people, make disciples. As you're with your friends during the day, make disciples. And the other thing to clear up is that the only command, there's only one command in this whole thing, and that is to make disciples. The go therefore is not a command. The <coughs> baptize is not a command. The teach is not a command. Now, it's not because these things are, are optional, though. They're not commands because the assumption is that if you're making a disciple, these things are all happening. You can't do discipleship without baptism, and you can't do discipleship without teaching. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you will observe my commandments. And so we learn his commandments. We know them, and we follow them. And so the next point on your handout there is discipleship without both baptism and teaching is not discipleship at all.
So we know his commands. We follow them. Because how are you going to make disciples if you yourself are not a disciple? We know his commands so that we can follow under him, so that we can come under him and draw others along with us into that. So very quickly into your next point. Jesus is not calling us to make disciples of us, but to make disciples of him. So if you see a place in your life where you are not following, repent, turn, get under him so that you can make disciples. So that as you go through that process, and this is the amazing thing about discipleship, as you go through that process of turning and coming back under him, you just gain wisdom in that. And you know what? There's somebody else who needs to do that too. So grab them and bring them along with you. You know, we, we sometimes think like, well, I, I don't know enough to, to really like help somebody follow Jesus. You are further along than somebody. <laughs> you, even if you have been a disciple for five seconds, you learned something in that time. You've found something in your life that had to change, and Jesus changed it in you. And you can tell somebody else about that. And discipleship, it doesn't have to be this complicated thing either. Sometimes we think it's got to be, you know, a very structured class or, um, you know, we're going to go through this book. Now, those things are great. I'm not saying don't do that. Like I said earlier, I love books. Uh, Books are, I, I mean, I have been discipled through people who are long dead because I read their book and it just taught me so much. Um, They are great tools, but don't overcomplicate this. It's modeling what it means to live for Jesus. It's bringing somebody into your life and having those conversations. This is how I became a Christian myself. I, um, when I was working at Starbucks, I had a coworker whose husband, um, well, her and her husband were believers, and her husband just invited me into his life. I mean, like, we would watch kung fu movies, and he would challenge my worldviews. And then we'd, like, go out and sand his deck, and, and he'd challenge me with certain questions that I couldn't answer. Um, and one night, we're, he, he was leading me through a Bible study, and I just came to a point where I realized... I either need to accept Jesus or I'm going to be an open rebellion to God. And I made that decision. And it wasn't even a Sunday, you know? I mean, that's that's the amazing thing about discipleship is it's just, it's bringing somebody into your life. So to get a little bit more practical here for a minute, um, just talk about, I want to kind of just give some examples of some ways that my wife and I are doing this, that I'm doing this, um, First off is parents, if you have kids, you are called to disciple them. That is your primary responsibility in their lives is to disciple them. So a few things that we do, um, you know, it, it said teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So one thing we do is we have a, a kid's theology book called Theology. It's a tricky name, but uh, it's a really fun book. And so we go, we go over that every night after dinner and... Um, and we'll use that to lead into conversations, and it gets them thinking. 
And if you feel like you don't know enough to lead a conversation on that, just tell them. Let's learn this thing together. You know, uh, you don't have to know everything. And if you try to pretend you do, your kids will know it and they'll totally call you on it. Um, and then one of the other things that we, we actually have taken up recently is um, uh, we recently became foster parents. And so we've got uh, two little foster boys living with us right now. But as we went into that, we had very purposeful conversations with our kids about why. Why are we going to go into foster parenting? What, what is the motivation behind this? And really explaining what it means to die to yourself and to love others. And so we want to be able to model that. We want our kids to, as they grow up, they see mom and dad saying, I'm not important. What's important is Jesus. And so we're going to make some weird decisions. We're going to make some difficult decisions. And we're going to jump into it because Jesus is with us. He told us he has all the authority. So we're going to jump into this. Um, and then along with that, honestly, make the weird decisions. Because people will ask questions. When people find out that you're a foster parent, they're like, you're doing what? Like, and they want to know about it. They want to know why you jumped into that. They want to know why you had a heart for that. And it leads into great conversations. But with the kids, I mean, we just kind of realized that if we weren't modeling what it means to sacrifice your life for others and for Christ, then, then they were missing out on a huge part of discipleship. If we weren't actively showing them what it means to, to die to yourself and, and that there is darkness in the world and that God has called us to actually step into that darkness and shine some light, then they were missing out on a huge part of discipleship. And so that's just a, a couple of ways we've done it. Um, but there's, I mean, there's multiple ways you can do this. You know, get involved in an outreach and bring your kids along with you. Let them see what you're doing. Sign up for the Voice of the Martyrs email and pray for these people with your kids. You know, volunteer at church and bring your kids along with you, assuming they're old enough. I mean, if I brought my three-year-old back there to do sound, that, <laughs> There'd be way worse than that ringing there was earlier. So, um, but outside of parenting too, just be available. I think is the biggest key. Have margin in your life. Ask yourself: Is your home a comfortable home? Would somebody want to come to your house and sit down and have dinner? Do you foster that kind of environment? Because when you, you set up the environment, things just kind of start growing. You know, it's, it's like a garden where it's, it's an organic thing. It's, it's, but if you don't manage it, if you don't put a trellis on the vine, if you don't prune the trees, it's just going to go absolutely nuts. And so you, you set up an environment where fruit can be born. And if you feel like you aren't far, enough, far along enough in your walk, I want to encourage you that you're good. Invite people in. Learn and grow together. And if there's somebody that's maybe really young in their walk too, grab them and learn together. You know, figure out, hey, let's, let's learn how to really study the Bible together. Not have accountability and just say, oh, did you read your, your Bible last night? But really learn how to dig into it. Learn how to be in Jesus' word 
and, and grow together. So your next point on your handout is don't build discipleship into your life. Build your life around discipleship. And so we saw the great claim. We saw the great commission. And now there's the great comfort. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we begin leading people into discipleship under Jesus, says, Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. His authority is going to go with us wherever we go. <coughs> and the, the biggest hope in this is he says, even to the end of the age. He's pointing to the next chapter. The end of the age is that next chapter where we come from this world where the kingdom is growing. The kingdom, it's that mustard seed that's growing and it's, it's getting new leaves here and new branches there, but we still see, we still see the world behind it. And in this next chapter, Jesus is going to be reigning completely. We are going to see God's kingdom in its full glory. And there is, there is a significance in that when we look at the Great Commission. In God's strength, we're going to run this race to the end. We're going to make disciples to the end. And we're going to point people to that hope, that hope of Jesus returning, that hope of every tear being wiped away, of pain and sickness being gone. Um, Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're working right now to bring his kingdom here on earth as fully as we can get it so that we can point people to that hope that's in there. You know, it's, I'm going to give you a totally perfect seasonal analogy here. I hope you're ready for this. So growing up, I always loved cooking Thanksgiving dinner with my dad, right? And the benefit in that was like, my dad would take the turkey out of the oven and he'd carve off a little piece and you know, give you just like a little bit of it right after it came out of the oven. It's so good, right? But it's not the full meal. I mean, it's just, it's just this little tiny taste of something awesome. But the full meal later, that's what you're really looking forward to. And so while that's still, it was just, it was Thanksgiving, so I had to do it. But it points to something amazing. It points to something that is going to be so amazing that just how could you do anything but make disciples in this life? For now, though, we're in this chapter of the restoration. We're in this chapter of the redemption. And in this chapter, he wrote each and every one of us in purposefully. He lovingly wrote in each one of us and he gave us all different characteristics. He gave us all different attributes on purpose. It's to make disciples. He gave us all these different characteristics, but he gave us all the same mission. We are to make disciples in this time. And so we make disciples of those who hunger for God's word. We make disciples of those who long to proclaim their faith in Jesus through baptism. And we make disciples of those who want to make disciples. And it just keeps going and going and building and building. And so that last note on your handout, 
God did not write you into a great tragedy, and you are not an afterthought in God's story of redemption. You were purposefully written into his epic narrative to make disciples. If you get nothing out of this today, get that he made you and wrote you into this chapter to make disciples. He wrote you in purposefully in this big overarching story that tells us the truth of the world around us to go and make disciples. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have the authority. We thank you that you have been writing us into this story of yours, God, that uh, you have been writing since the beginning of time. Lord, I pray that uh, as we go out into the world that we would build our lives around discipleship and that uh, you would give us opportunities, put opportunities in front of us to have conversations, to open up our lives to others, and to just simply show people what it means to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And in doing so, uh, thank you. Uh, um, one thing I just want to point out is how we do it here. So we have two tables set up, and we have the uh, the wine and the and the and the bread that are here. And you just file down and you take it.